0: The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you. It is the 22nd of August 2022, just past the midday mark. As we reach the end of the year... The major standout is going to be the ruling party's elective conference. And whenever we have an elective conference within the ruling party, all the stories of shenanigans seem to appear. There's really stories in mainstream media relating to the so-called sexual escapades of our Minister of Finance. And he, of course, has put water on that particular story. But you can expect an increase in stories in the media in the next couple of weeks and months. And I suggest when you read them, you must always take into consideration that there's a narrative or an agenda at play. Who would have leaked that story? Why have they leaked that story? And what's happening in the news that they could be deflecting from or wanting to influence? And I think in this regard, they are trying to influence the outcome of the elective conference come December 2022. It's going to be a very interesting elective conference and i've always said this i've it's it's bizarre for me that i'm repeating myself every four years but i always say this is going to be the watershed this is going to be that rubicon moment within the ruling party where they determine their future because so many people within the party have been vocal about corruption about fraud and about something we're discussing on air today and that is ethics and where does ethics come from how does ethics tie in to what we've seen in respect of our state capture, what we've seen in respect of PPE fraud, what we've seen in respect of tender fraud, and how, from an ethical perspective, are we gonna be able to make a difference. Joining me in studio in a few minutes is Cynthia Skuman. She is an ethics practitioner, and she's gonna be talking more about the subjects of ethical behavior, both in the private as well as the public sector. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High fm I think it goes without saying that South Africa is in the midst of an ethics crisis. If one looks at news reports, findings of commissions, of inquiries both the public and the private sector in South Africa is seemingly lacking. And I use the word seemingly um, in inverted commas because I, I think I should rather say we are lacking when it comes to ethical business practice and behavior as a whole. Joining me today is Cynthia Skuman, um, the current chairperson of the Ethics Practitioners Association. Cynthia also sits on the Ethics Committee of the Endangered Wildlife Fund and is the Managing Director of Ethics Monitoring and Management Services. Cynthia, very good morning to you. Or good afternoon, rather.
1: Well, thank you. It's a lovely being here. Cynthia,
0: I I, I started off with the statement that we're in the midst of an ethics crisis. And I, I don't think people understand just what a crisis it is! Would you agree with that statement?
1: A- absolutely. I, I mean, I wish I didn't, but but unfortunately, I absolutely do. And and if we look at it, it's when when you acknowledge the crisis. This is not to say there aren't ethical people out there. It's not saying that at all. But but if we look at some really reliable stats, stats if we look at Transparency International's Corruption Perceptions Index, which you'd know looks at. Public sector corruption around The country I I produced The stats up for a 10 year Period just recently I mean Our stats are awful Awful and and So you know that's a very real One reflection granted but A very real reflection of An absence of ethics So when one
0: talks about the public sector Especially when one looks at our peristates Or is now known as state owned entities We always talk about a Skills shortage Or the lack of skills or a skills deficit. Either people have left, they've retired, they've immigrated, there hasn't been the necessary skills transfer. I would like to say the same, that there's also a ethical deficit.
1: It's an excellent point. It's an excellent point. In fact, ironically, I think your two points connect because people with real skills wouldn't want to associate often with a company that has such a poor reputation. But but I think that, that we're definitely looking at, at, a, at an absence of, of ethical skills, and I almost want to go so far as to, in some cases, ethical intent.
0: So I need to understand ethics as a whole. We didn't really talk about ethics because ethics, it was always assumed were instilled in an individual. We now see that ethics are expected of an individual. My question to you, and it may sound a bit strange to you, is ethics nature or nurture?
1: I, I think it's such a great question. In, in an ideal world... Of course ethics would be nurture. And, and I could paint a lovely picture for you of the children who are part of a loving, caring home where they're brought up by parents and probably other family members to be honest, to be respectful, to, to, you name it, to, to treat people fairly. All of those things. Now, now that we could easily put under the banner of nurture. The challenge is that we don't have so many circumstances as might have been in the past of that perfect nuclear family. Uh, For goodness sake, the tragedy in South Africa is we're looking at many child-headed households so, our reliance on nurture, of course, I think nurture happens i 'm sure it happens in your homes and and in many of our listeners homes but but not nearly enough to move the dial significantly and so here we have to move into into more how can we instill it beyond what might or might not have happened in the home?
0: I think a lot of us are too reliant on the expectation that people are born or instilled with a sense of ethics and morality. And we've, we've lost sight of the fact that society has changed over the years. And like you said, that nuclear home may still exist in some instances. In fact, in a very minority of instances, but even in those instances where you have the, the traditional family with the advent of social media, the digital age, you no longer have that interaction that one would have expected that we are used to from the past.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, so, so the, the, let, let me answer a point you made a little differently uh, around, you know, we expect people to, to understand about ethics. What I think is an interesting way of looking at it is that I would argue that in the vast majority of cases, not all, but the vast majority of cases, do you know people actually do know the difference between right or wrong? Now, now let me be clear. I'm I'm not ignoring cultural differences. There are many factors you could throw at this, but but I promise you, whether I'm looking at my grandchildren, even the littlest one, does he know if what he's doing is right or wrong? Yes, of course. And by the way, those politicians or or the businessman or the head of the SOE, of course they know what's right or wrong. The challenge we face. Is not an absence of knowledge about what 's right or wrong it 's the absence of a choice to do what 's right
0: Where do morals come into play
1: Do you know we can go back into into the meaning of the words and, and if you were writing an, an academic thesis, you, you could go into the distinction between ethics and morals. I think for our practical use in our workplaces and, and even in our homes, I, I think we really can merge the two. Both reflect an intention, both reflect what is good and correct in, in terms of our behavior. and And then looking at it, it really should have an added point. It's not only what's good and correct about our behavior. It's about what's good and correct in my behavior, not only relative to me, and perhaps my, my nearest and dearest, but relative to others whom I impact as well. So that others is a big aspect of, of ethics.
0: One thing that South Africans seem to be losing sight of is that they tend to point fingers at the public sector when it comes to this ethical deficit. I'm going to refer to that. I like it, this ethical deficit.
1: It's a great term.
0: Yet what they forget to realize is that fraud and corruption within the public sector cannot occur without the symbiotic relationship existing with the private sector. Because the public sector is, of course, the biggest customer to big business. Indeed. So if you're unethical in the public sector, you need to find somebody as unethical as you to be able to perpetrate a fraud. And people are forgetting About the fact that this is a two-way street. There's no distinction between the corruptor and the corruptee because, let's be honest, lack of ethics results in corruption. Exactly. So why is the public only focusing on government and not looking to their private sector partners?
1: I I think the point you make should should be emphasized far more regularly than it is that that absolutely, you know, the classic line. It takes two to tango. And and of course, you know, Bain is the latest one that that's in the news for all the wrong reasons. And it's illustrative. Of course, there was that partnership. I I think that. Um, We do tend to focus somewhat more on the public sector, and I think it derives very simply from the fact that they represent the government of the country, that we look to them as the overarching authority for the whole country and all its citizens. And typically, when we look at someone in such a a senior role, when we look at a party in such a senior role, we often have an expectation that they would set the better example.
0: When it comes to ethics, we've agreed that the majority of people would understand the difference between right and wrong. The deficit that we're experiencing, could we say it's because of greed
1: I, I think, you know, I've, I must tell you, I have often included in all the online work that we've been doing recently, we've often included poll questions around what do you think the real cause is? And, and I've included, you know, all sorts of random answers and your comment on greed is exactly what comes out the highest every time. And, and here, you know, let, let's distinguish that greed and need aren't Opposite ends of the spectrum, that that the uh, the countless examples of of fraud and corruption had nothing to do with need. They had everything to do with greed.
0: We're chatting now to Cynthia Skuman about ethics. Ethics both in the public space as well as in the workspace, It's something that's so very important. If you want to join the conversation, you can send us a telegram 061-895-1019 or send us an SMS 34519 or tweet at High fm You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High fm hey, This is The Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas, and today we're chatting to Cynthia Skuman, Regarding the important aspect of ethics while we're on break Cynthia and I were chatting and I said the most bizarre thing I said when I started my career ethics weren't some wasn't something rather forgive my English it wasn't something that was up for discussion it wasn't something where you had an ethics program in place it seemed to be expected.
1: But, but I mean, the, the world has changed profoundly. I think your comment is absolutely right. And I think it would resonate with many people. And now, if you're looking at an organization, you're saying, well, I mean, what do you mean you don't have an ethics program in place? And, and I think that uh, one of the key reasons that, that we can see that, that this has arisen is because of the huge amount of, of fraud and corruption that is part of our context. Now, it, let me quickly add, you know, not to be unduly critical. Of course, there's fraud and corruption all around the world. But, I mean, if we look at the, I mean, deluge of stuff that has come out the Zondo Commission, this is a very, very loud noise in our society. And, and it has raised the profile of ethics enormously.
0: Well, one could say... It's endemic to, in South Africa at the moment. And what makes it worse was when the pandemic hit South Africa. We, we were so thrilled as a country that we had leadership that was taking a stand against this unseen virus that was coming into our homes and killing our loved ones. And when Ramaphosa announced his first lockdown and he announced what he was doing, even the World Health Organization held him in high esteem. They used him as an, as an example to other governments worldwide. Yet shortly thereafter, after all the funds had been allocated for the most important need, and that was personal protective equipment, we found out about the massive 500 billion rand fraud involved. What happened there?
1: Well, I think your point is Absolutely spot on. Sad, but but really spot on. And what I often use that to illustrate is to say that we've, of course, all been engrossed with what has come out of the Zonder Commission. And that is looking retrospectively by its nature. What unfortunately all the PPE fraud, PPE fraud tells us is that can we please not be naive that fraud and corruption is unfortunately alive and well and continuing currently in the country. We wish that it was just those lost nine years that, that the Zonder Commission looked at, but I think your point illustrates exactly that the problem is real and current and ongoing.
0: I used to have to give people analogies as to why I would make the statement fraud and corruption kills. And you and I are in agreement today that fraud and corruption are as a result in part as a result of, of, of the lack of ethical um, leadership. I don't think it was any clearer during the PPE crisis because here was a pandemic and by, by executing such a massive Fraud on the people They deprived certain individuals Of the right to that PPE And people have died as a result Do you think that may have been a turning point In people's understanding Of how serious fraud and corruption Actually is As a phenomenon in this country?
1: Chad, I wish I really wish But I'm not entirely convinced It was a turning point I, I think that Part of the challenge is because of the enormous number of scandals we've faced. We've almost been outraged out, <laughs> to 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 phrase it a little clumsily. That that you know now, you know, I, I use a silly example. That unless that that uh, corruption amount has got a B behind it, if it's just an M. You know what we just keep reading a b you probably still pause and and so there 's been so much that that you know our outrage factor is just saturated and so while I would wish that that was a, a big turning point where, where we could absolutely see directly and envisage the harm it caused um, i'm i 'm not convinced that that because of the of As I say, the deluge of corruption that that we haven't, honestly, that our, our outrage factor has been very dulled.
0: You made a very valid point now. You mentioned the fact that there's been a deluge. We've been inundated with news reports about how corrupt government has been, how unethical they've been, and the fraud that's resulted out of that. Open Secrets a few years ago published a report called The Enablers, and it showed that government could not have committed this wholesale theft and fraud from the public fiscus if it hadn't been through the involvement of these so-called enablers, which were audit companies, banking companies, lawyers. And therein lies a a question I need to pose. If we're instilling a sense of ethical behavior in an organization and they need to follow that not as a guideline, they have to live that because ethics is living. It isn't something that you abide by. It's something that you have to live by. Mm. Aren't we now going to have a situation where organizations are going to say, but if we don't cross that line, we're not going to get business.
1: I, I think you raise a question that often people pose in, in various formats. But if I don't pay the bribe, you know, Cynthia, I won't get the job. And and then they will easily continue with saying, do you know, I've got 15 employees and, do you know, and and they, they've got what sounds like a very valid justification. But but can you see, we need to have thought about, to your point of much earlier, we need to have thought about ethics in advance, not when we're sitting in that awkward position and someone saying, so what is my present here or, you know, however it is currently worded. And, and I think that if as an organization, be that public or private, if we choose to make an, a contribution towards forwarding ethics in our country, then ethics is not a negotiation. Ethics is not a part-time endeavor, as you said. And then I I also advise advise organizations, be upfront about it. When you sit down with that municipality, when you submit your tender, please be aware this company abides by the highest ethical standards, and that will inform all our work, including quality, time delivery. You get the picture.
0: So you agree that there's a direct correlation between ethical behavior and the fight against corruption? Absolutely. So if a person offers or concedes to giving a cold drink to a traffic officer in a corrupt act so as not to get a traffic ticket, is that unethical?
1: Of course. Of course. And, and you know, I mean, let me perhaps flippantly add that no gray area here you know really it this is this is not difficult to work out and and our legislation is perfectly clear on this if it is an inducement to avoid some form of penalty uh to prevent some some um, negative action of course it is it is subverting the course of of in that case of of the law
0: so we sit in south africa with a lot of legislation that should actually be preventative. And in fact, the one act is called the Prevention of Corrupt Activities Act. Mm. Mm. And then of course, we've got Kings 4, we've got compliance, we've got governance, we've got all of this incredible legislation, which I think a lot of people may find difficult to navigate because our government doesn't really educate the public at large. We don't have um, advertorials in print, we don't have Um, radio adverts or television adverts that show what legislation is in place if a company wants to be ethical and wants to be compliant because those are two very different things the one is a nice to have the other is a must-have you are the person that brings those two worlds together the nice to have and the must-have so tell us a little bit more about an ethical program within an organization or an ethics program
1: uh, well let me start with with where where you focused on around acknowledging that in organizations today they almost all have a perfectly sound code of conduct they've got perfectly sound policies around almost everything that would be necessary and uh, i mean despite you know criticisms of the country our legislation actually is perfectly clear you're referencing precker and and we could reference much more so a starting point to recognize of addressing ethics in an organization is that that whole rule-based cr- cluster, laws, rules, regulations, policies, that is one driver that you have at your disposal in the organization to try and achieve an ethical outcome of ethical behavior and, of course, thereby an ethical culture. The other two drivers are where we need to also place-focused, and that is the values in the organization, and the big one is leadership. You've already referred to it, that out of those three big drivers, rules, I mean laws, rules, collective, values, and, and leadership, I mean you don't even need to know anything about ethics to know that the most powerful driver is leadership.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about statutory obligations. I think a lot of organizations don't realize that ethics constitute a way in which they have to conduct business. And as much as you and I can wax lyrical about the, the aspects of nature, nurture, how does ethics come about, why we should have ethics, the fact remains is the law requires ethical behavior because if you're not compliant if you're not ethical and you do broach that little invisible line and you do offer inducements or gratuities you are committing an offense and of course the companies act is very specific section 29 speaks about unconscionable abuse section 22 speaks about reckless or fraudulent trading and all of that would not have occurred if there was an ethical program in place So how do we communicate to organizations out there the importance of an ethics program?
1: I wish there was one quick, easy answer. Um, I I think that where we're building an ethics program, of course, as I just said, it needs to be informed by ethical leadership. Of course, it needs to leverage the values. But I raise what, what may seem like a small point but is so pertinent given our context that one of the things we have to have in place is real accountability. If that organization, if something untoward, something unethical happens and there are no consequences... You can have the best values, the best code of ethics, and, and it will be undone. So it is but one feature, but I stress it because part of the broader context in our country is that we're shrugging our shoulders and say, oh, you know what, the company that paid that bribe. Who's ever going to get caught? Who's ever going to face consequences? So the sense of impunity that has developed is a very large factor. So as I say, developing an ethics program, an enormous amount of detail we can talk about, but that is a huge factor that has to be dealt with at the outset. A
0: couple of years ago, you would never have heard of a social media manager with social media and the advent thereof, people didn't realize that potentially their company could be at risk from a reputational perspective. So they engaged people to do two things. Number one, to manage what news was put out via social media, and it was also used very well from a marketing perspective. And, of course, to be able to address negative reports on on all these social media websites. Now we're seeing that people are also being engaged or employed from an ethics perspective to ensure that that company is steered correctly. And that, of course, has led to the founding of the Ethics Practitioners Association. So explain a little bit more about this organization and what it means for somebody to be regarded as an ethics practitioner.
1: Well, the the association has actually been a good while in in the forming, and what it is is as you would have for for auditors or, or anything like that. It is a professional home for ethics practitioners, and and we really recognised a good while ago that this is becoming an increasing career choice, you know, quick little round of applause for that because of course we have need of it um, but this was creating a professional association for the people in this space and again as a professional association to provide that support, that encouragement a source of ongoing learning and of course uh, the the uh, Ethics Practitioners Association has also registered um, with SACWA a formal ethics designation which is EPSA as an ethics practitioner essay. So it is really advancing um, ethics as a as a formal, recognised area of, of work.
0: And obviously people involved in compliance, fraud prevention, ensuring that a company sticks to a specific policy in terms of gratuities, inducements, they would all form part of the membership of such a body.
1: They certainly can be members, yes, yes. It, it, it embraces a, a huge range of people working across that spectrum.
0: Raymond Dibbon says, the lack of ethics bleeds into everyday life. Just look at murders, rape, violence, looting. There's no moral compass in this country. Would you agree that the old adage of fish rots from the head down is applicable? If we don't see ethics being practiced at the top, we will see a large increase in other type of crime, such as the contact crime This this this, this person Raymond mentions.
1: I must say, can I just comment that, I mean, Raymond has written that beautifully. I mean, that, that it bleeds into, I, it's so graphic and, and soundly uh, so reflective of the situation. But, but your question around the fish rots from the head. Leadership is far and away the most impactful factor shaping ethics, either for ethics or for unethical behavior. And I think in so many cases, we've got ordinary citizens they might not be looking at the at the people heading up the companies they work for but they could certainly choose any number of high profile political and other figures in our country and say well what's ever happened to him In fact, they look at it and say, but, I mean, these people have got extraordinarily wealthy. You know, why am I the idiot that continues to do what's right and correct and and ethical and legal? Now, I I do – let me quickly qualify uh, add that that's a provocative comment. But but I think that the poor examples of an absence of ethics loom very large, and and we cannot be naïve. To think that there aren't people who are affected by that and who would find it an enticing path.
0: Richard Didrick says integrity, doing the right thing even when no one is watching, obviously in short supply when it should count the most at the moment, so sad could and should be so different.
1: Exactly. And, and of course that, you know, that integrity when no one's watching is the ultimate qualifier of that. It's all fine and well when you're standing there and you've got a dozen people watching you, then you do the right thing. But when there's no one there, that is, it's, it's a very powerful, if you want definition.
0: Brian Ferreira says, lacking ethics. That's a very polite way of putting it. According to Zondo and the thousands of news reports, it seems that South Africa has the most successful criminal organization the world has ever seen. The scale of looting, theft and corruption is vast. So vast it's almost unimaginable. Trillions have been mentioned. South Africa will soon be gray listed because of all the illicit money flowing in and out of the country. It appears that many of the directors of very large companies have also been compromised. They don't say a word. We have a deafening silence from the banks. The so-called business leaders are so quiet we can hear a pin drop. Every till in every municipal, provincial and state department has been cleaned out. There's nothing left. Lacking ethics is something of an understatement.
1: I, I think, unfortunately, it's very well said. And, and I mean... If you were just looking at the at the weekend press, we could also name areas. I was looking at, you know, long distance uh, buses, bus services. Uh, whether we look at the construction industry, we could all speak to honestly a, a sort of gang type, mafia type uh, situation. There, of course, that is exactly what 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 we're dealing with. And and this is is as you said earlier, this is extraordinarily widespread.
0: Kerry friends, writes, ethics and honor, words unknown in business and life today. It's all profit and gain now. We'll be back with Cynthia straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatty to Cynthia Skuban today regarding the importance of ethics in both the public and private sector. And we've had a lot of comments come in where people seem to be Now, finally, pointing the finger towards the fact that there is a symbiotic relationship. Public sector can't operate without the help of the private sector. That being said, however, if government's not doing as much as they should be, what can the private sector do in order to, to turn the tide, Cynthia?
1: I think they can do way more than is currently being done. And, and before I qualify that, let me let me add something that, that I've often shared with organizations of saying when you're running a really sound ethics program, comprising training, whatever it comprises, can you recognize the impact? Now, of course, the impact is on the employees and hence the positive impact, if you're running it well, is on the company. But I always say, and it sounds a little altruistic, but just pause and reflect on this. I speak about C-cubed. Can you see that for those employees, for your company where you lift the ethical bar, can you see you're equipping them to take those ethics back into their community? And I appreciate it's a stretch, but for every community that we can improve ethically, can you see we're also improving in our country? So when the organization is doing something, I'm saying please recognize that ethics is like the stone in the pond. That ripple can extend enormously. And in that regard, uh, I mean, we advocate strongly that organizations do as much as they can and, and here, not I, I have often advocated that not only for their employees, what about for all their other key stakeholders? Are they spending time really engaging in ethics? Not in some boring conversation where, where someone has 33 definitions, but, but in that real conversation so that someone comes out of it, yes, more informed, but more encouraged to make better choices going forward
0: jean O'Dier writes, the road to healing our nation starts with baby steps. Coming to a complete stop at a stop sign, even if there are no other vehicles around, is the acid test. Flunk this and rest assured, the sense of right and wrong will continue to slide. I hereby challenge myself, baby steps towards a better and safer South Africa.
1: I love it. I love it. And, and also, uh, I mean, there's so many ways we could interpret baby steps. But are we intentionally respectful all the time to everyone even when we're irritated
0: so i taught my nephews and niece the other day the importance of where you put your trolley after shopping and to them it was a lesson that was unusual because i i asked them why am i taking the trolley back inside and i made it a a session where we could learn something from it and i think that analogy very similar to the to the stop street analogy Makes a lot of sense. You can tell the type of person by where they leave their trolley.
1: Exactly. I, it's a great example. And, and there are so many. And, and if in our, in our social circles, in our families, among our friends, if we all adopted a little, little s- step, some baby steps all across the way, of course it doesn't change the universe. Does it make a difference? Actually, yes.
0: So, Cynthia, a big corporate will be able to engage the services on a full time basis on a full time basis rather of an ethics officer or somebody responsible for that what about the mom and pop shops what about the small organisations that want to be perceived as being ethical they they know they're ethical but they also want to send the message to others around them that they're ethical but they can't engage somebody on a permanent basis
1: I think that's a very good question, and again, that's where the role of the ethics practitioner comes in, that as they wouldn't employ a full-time auditor or even a full-time accountant, they would, they would insource that. They would use an external service provider. I think there's not enough familiarity, even not only in micro, but small and medium enterprises. There's not enough familiarity with looking at, at bringing in the services of an ethics practitioner. And, and by the way, not once there's an outright crisis, you know, when you're thinking about it is a, is a good time. Um, but also to, to engage an ethics practitioner on a small retainer. Um, you would consider that appropriate if you were organizing your payroll or something. And and I think that the, the value that an ethics practitioner can add is huge.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the profession now of an ethics practitioner. What kind of and, – and, and I know that the obvious answer, what they need to bring to the table is a sense of ethics and morality. It's something that has to be instilled in one. But let's talk about the basics. If somebody is going to practice ethics as a profession – where would they be drawn from generally?
1: Um, you know, it, it it comes back to a previous point you made, because there's a vast array that they could be drawn from, from the legal professions, from forensics, from compliance, a huge array of areas um, where all of that – uh, can lead itself into into ethics and and many organizations would still speak of a compliance officer but but that is a is a we understand a very distinct role um, around complying with rules and regulations and policies um, but managing the the ethics officer role uh, can encompass a huge amount more but it's got got a very broad base in in terms of different professions
0: I see there is a growth and people want to go back to those fundamentals because they understand that although the rudder is broken, it can be repaired by instilling this in their workforce.
1: Yes, yes, yes. But but then, you know, you really do. Um, it's it 's like you're talking about living ethics this can 't be a part time thing this can 't be something that you know what we 're going to run a half day training program every year well, you know it 's like trying to instill fairness and respect in your child if you took half a day a year i 'm not sure what success you 'd have um, it 's something that really does need to be ongoing um in in your actions and throughout an appropriate ethics program
0: the Ethics Practitioners Association. If if our listeners want to find out more and they want to engage, where do they go to find this information?
1: It's it's a, there's a, a very informative website. It's obviously www.epa-africa.com.
0: So you expect, oh, with Africa, I'm assuming now that you are not just looking at South Africa.
1: No, no, and, but, but there was also an issue around EPA an Environmental Protection Agency. <laughs> so, so it's a, there was in terms of website names, but it's a, it's a fully registered a non-profit organization. And we have two um, kinds of membership. We have a professional membership of, as I said, the EPSA, but we also have associate membership for people who are working towards acquiring the experience and and the expertise that would be expected of someone to be awarded an EPSA designation.
0: And in closing, having the the Practitioners Association now um, going full steam, what have you noticed from an international perspective? Because we see in the States they introduced the Foreign Practices Act or the Foreign Corrupt Practices mm-hmm. Act as a means to instill a sense of compliance and ethical behavior by American companies operating outside of America. So they've taken it very seriously. Are we seeing international organizations very similar to yours?
1: Uh, yes. I, I mean, I think that um, – now, of course, I'm trying to think of – of examples, and it it doesn't instantly come to mind, but there are many ethics bodies um, that that don't quite serve as a professional membership body as we do, but but many reputable ethics bodies uh, around the world, all of whom are really trying to promote uh, a sound understanding, build and and contribute to uh, a really solid body of knowledge uh, around ethics. And um, so, I mean, as I say, we're looking at one of our associate organizations is the Good Governance Academy in South Africa. I'm I'm sure you'd know them. And they're doing great work. But one of the things they're looking at is that, of course, we're sitting here with King 4 as a superb body of knowledge. Um, But what many of your listeners might not know is that the ISO standards around governance and ethics are Excellent. Really excellent. So, so there honestly is a wealth of, of material. There's really a need to reinvent the wheel.
0: So without being flippant, it's understandable how South Africa can actually be a leader in introducing, or reintroducing rather, ethics as being part and parcel of one's everyday business practice
1: i I think that that it, it yes, it is ironic, but I think we can you know not tongue in cheek say we have truly experienced what an ethics deficit looks like, feels like, and lives like, and now we're going to move from that that 's not going to happen again, so almost experiencing the worst. The the experience enables you to, with great knowledge of what you don't want and what you're going to avoid, allows you to move forward with really great purpose and focus.
0: I thank you, Cynthia Skuman. It was a very interesting conversation and um, something I think our listeners can benefit from, especially the fact that you've taken it to the extent where people can now actually receive a formalized SACWA-approved designation, and it just shows the importance of ethics in our everyday lives.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I'm doing something today that I, I've never done before, and that's to dedicate the show. And that's because we chat about crime, fraud, corruption every single week, and it's become part and parcel of our lives. And then something happens that just brings it closer to home. Um, this weekend, my my wife's cousin um, broke down. He, he. There was something on the highway. He was on his way home. He got out of his vehicle to inspect it, and he was murdered. Um he, he. People approached him. They wanted his cell phone. They stabbed him to death, and and he died at at, at the at, at the scene. South Africa is in the midst of a crime wave, the likes of which have not been experienced anywhere else in the world. And more people are currently being murdered in South Africa on a daily basis than the amount of people that are dying in war zones. If the South African state law enforcement agencies do not concede that they've lost the war on crime and institute a state of emergency, South Africa will quickly descend into absolute chaos. The South African government needs to find budgets to capacitate the SANDF to deploy in support of the police and to deputize or grant police officer status to registered, vetted, and qualified security officers in the employ of registered and recognized security companies. We can't wait much longer. Every single South African has been impacted by crime. And the time to act, and we say it all the time, but really and truly, we have to act now. Rest in peace, Benny, and to the dozens of other South Africans killed every single day.